Welcome to today's sports and entertainment podcast brought to you by Market Scale. I'm Sean Heath, and today's Sean Versation is with John Alper, the Chief Sales Officer for the Frisco Rough Riders. John, how are you today, my friend? I'm fantastic, Sean. Thank you for uh, having me on today. I have to say, I like, contrary to most people, I like talking to guys in sales because you're always thinking. You always have to be innovating and you have to be aware of everything and you have to notice trends. I think sales guys are some of the smartest people that I've ever met. So I'm really excited about having a chance to talk to you. Before we find out how smart you are, let's find out how you got that smart. Do me a favor. Give me just kind of the 15 second uh, elevator pitch on how John Alper progressed from, I don't know, let's say a freshman in college to boom, being the chief sales officer for the Rough Riders. (laughs) <laughs> 15 seconds, huh? Well, I tell people I should have gotten into a commercial real estate or oil if you really want to make a ton of money. But it's been a, it's been a fun 25-year uh, thus far career in sports marketing. And, you know, really, it's just been hard work. I started in, in the ground floor ticket sales and uh, worked my way up. Uh, ended up inheriting sponsorship sales for uh, a few teams and agencies. And, and now I oversee ticket sales sponsorships uh, for the Frisco Rough Riders. So let me go through your history because I'm going to cheat. I have some notes, and I also knew a couple of things before we started. So you started out in 91 selling tickets for the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Sidekicks. So I know Tattoo's your favorite soccer player ever. (laughs) Uh, And then when Major League Soccer started, you were the first in the ticket department for the Dallas Burn, which is now FC Dallas. You were there for quite a while, and you even helped them get all of their commercial – kind of set up when they built a new soccer facility, which was Pizza Hut Park, and it's now Toyota Stadium. And then you worked in the agency business with the the legends for the the Dallas Mavericks uh, G League team. No, 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 no. So so Legends is – actually, Legends is uh, the same name, but Legends is owned by the Dallas Cowboys and New York Yankees, and they are a – Sales uh, sales agency um, that basically uh, they do a lot of different things, but I helped basically I represented properties on behalf of Legends throughout North America to help them maximize their sponsorship revenue. Okay, thank you for clarifying on that because for a moment I was going to think, man, you've spent a lot of time with the Dallas Mavericks. Um, so let me ask <laughs> right. you this: I have this I have this question that I've always been curious about. So let's think about primary jersey color and naming rights. So. Dallas Burn and FC Dallas, primary color red. Pizza Hut, primary color red. Toyota logo, primary color red. Then let's go to uh, the Frisco Rough Riders. Okay. Dr. Pepper, primary sponsor up to the end of this last season, right? Uh, naming rights to the park. Frisco Rough Riders have a maroon jersey. Is that just kind of a coincidence or do you kind of try? I've always been curious. Do you try and find a sponsor that sort of would look good? If you were to put a patch on the jersey, is there there has to be some thought that goes into that, right? <laughs> you know, or is it I've really been, who wants to sign the deal? Well, your 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 color analogy there, I've you know been doing this a long time, and no one has ever made that comparison. It's, it's actually pretty interesting because you think about the Cowboys, AT and T blue, and the Cowboys are blue. So you know um, that is interesting. Uh, like I said, no one's ever brought that up to me. But yeah, you know, it's at the end of the day um, with naming rights, and I've done five different naming rights deals. Um, throughout the last 25 years. It's, it, it's all about, first of all, finding someone who wants to be your partner long-term and spend a lot of money, but it's also find, about finding the right partner. You know, it's, 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 uh, and I know that you read a lot of times people say it was the right partner, but truly for a naming rights association where typically they, those type of deals are you know, 10, 15, sometimes 20 years, 
you know, you've got to have a brand that 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 has is somewhat endemic or somewhat ties into what you're all about, what your team's all about, um, what your ownership group's all about. Uh, that is important, but you know, it's also equally important to find someone who who can spend the money. Well, let's talk about that then, because I know that so the naming rights are changing at at former Dr Pepper Ballpark. I'm not going to ask you any details about negotiations or anything like that because I don't want to put either of us in a bad spot. Uh, but I'm really curious. The So the Rough Riders are replacing their sod. They completely replaced all of the field this year. Does that kind of play into, hey, look, we're selling a car and look at how shiny it is now. Is that That's not why that was done. It doesn't hurt, but that's not why you replace That's not why a field gets replaced in that situation, right? It was just a coincidence. It's complete coincidence. You know, so Dr. Pepper um, has been the, our naming rights partner since our inception. So for the last 15 years, they've had their name on our ballpark. Or, you know, it's been the only name on our ballpark. ballpark. Um, you know, it, uh, they actually signed a seven-year extension with us this past year, but not at the naming rights level. So they're still going to be a partner of ours at a very high level for the next seven years, but just not at the naming level. So, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're in the process of trying to find a, a new name. Um, separately, in terms of the turf being replaced, it's kind of like a golf green if you play golf. After, you know, 15 years, 10, 15 years typically – you got to redo the greens on a golf course. Well, same thing with a baseball field. At some point, the roots just start to give out. And if you came to a game last summer, you saw, even though we didn't have extreme heat, uh, you saw the field uh, was starting to be, started to wilt, started to die. We really had to spend, actually spend a lot of money just to keep it alive. And so it was just, it was that time. But yeah, it is ironic that, that uh, lo and behold, we're going to have a new name on the ballpark at some point. And along with that, we're going to have a, a new uh, playing surface. So let's talk about, you know, we've uh, as we talk about naming rights and we talk about corporate sponsorships and premier sponsorships and partnerships, let's talk about the fans for just a minute. Because the way that fans take in sports, either live sporting events or the way they consume sports, live streaming, whatever, is really changing at such a rapid pace. It's almost it's almost overwhelming. So that has been changing. What other trends have you seen lately that have just really made you sit up and go, whoa, this is new? <laughs> uh, well, certainly you hit on the one that everyone's paying attention to. Um, and how, are, you know, how are fans who can stream, you know, uh, stream sports, how, how is that going to impact things? How are all these new type of platforms such as you know, Facebook and Twitter uh, who are now getting into the content um, you know, business, it looks like, you know, who knows, maybe Amazon and, and others, you know, as we go down this road. So, you know, will that uh, significantly increase the, 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 the amount of money that leagues generate from, you know, from their programming? Um, that, that, that's a big one. Um, you know, and other things that are, you know, uh, you know, one thing that's caught my eye, and frankly, I don't understand it completely yet, but it's the esport phenomenon uh, and the number of kids and millennials and so forth who are so into it. And um, I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows how far that's going to go, but you can take a look at um, a lot of professional sports owners, you know, in the NFL and in the major leagues are, are investing in these esport leagues and teams. And that's something to keep an eye on. It's going to be interesting, especially since, um, you know, it's everyone talks about how the, the younger generation, it's hard for them to, to watch a three and a half hour football game or, you know, four hours of golf or whatever it might be. So 
um, we'll see how that uh, how that landscape changes. It is interesting, you know. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks just uh, purchased an esports team just recently, so they already have a partnership with uh, HyperX headphones, I think. And that's I. I mean, I like video games, and if I could get somebody to pay me six figures a year to play, you know, Call of Duty, sure, sign me up. I'm your guy. Sadly, uh, my phone is not ringing. So if you know anybody, you know, looking for an alternate for their team, just you know. Send them my way. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll, 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 t- I'll tell you what. On that regard, on, th- on that regard, just real quick, it's funny. My son got a PlayStation Four, my nine-year-old son, for Christmas, and I just, for whatever reason, have never had time over the last fifteen or twenty years to engage in video games. And I mean, there's like a hundred and fifty different control maneuvers you can make on that, on just the, you know, the thing that they use to, the, not the joystick, but the, the control. And uh, it just is, you know, you have a greater appreciation of how. You know, people say it's not a sport, or it's not a sport, but I mean, it's 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 really unbelievable how hard it is to become great at one of those. Things. Okay, so time to be honest. First, yeah. first, truly honest behind the scenes moment of this podcast. Yeah. Does your son talk trash to you when he kicks your butt at video games? Oh my god, the first game I played him on was MMA wrestling, and he threw me all over the ring like I was right in. I mean, it was it was <laughs> it was horrible, and I won't do that again. I mean, I, I had no chance. Um. And he had just gotten it like three days uh, before, you know, it had been three days since Christmas. So it's not like he's been training on the thing for the last year. They just instinctively, it's funny how little kids, you know, pick that stuff up so much quicker than, you know, an old man like myself. I tell you, you know, when, when I think about the generation, the Gen Z, which is truly a digital native generation. I mean, these kids really, it's almost like there's been a genetic evolution between the, the millennials and the Gen Z and the Gen Z just get technology and interfaces. It's really bizarre. But here's a concern that comes out of that. More kids start playing eSports, which means fewer kids playing basketball or because of the dangers, fewer kids playing football or even more so, fewer kids playing soccer. And I know soccer is something you're very passionate about. I want you to do me a favor. Talk a little bit about how Soccer is one of the sports that has continued to grow in the United States in spite of this sort of threat or challenge from esports. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Soccer is, you know, forever back before Major League Soccer started. You know, there was a history with NASL and minor league, excuse me, indoor soccer leagues and so forth that um, kind of came and went. And when Major League Soccer started, everyone said, you know, yeah, you know, soccer is the biggest participation sport. And this is going, dating back to like 1995. They said, yeah, soccer's the biggest participation sport, but it's always been like that. And it's never really translated into a successful major league league. And um, that's what a lot of naysayers said. And so anyway, I mean, literally for the first several years of major league soccer, you know, they started with 12 teams. And at one point they were down to 10. And that was, uh, that wasn't too long ago. That was, I think they had 10 teams in, in 2000. Um, I've lost count of where they're at now. I think they're going on number 26 or 28, something like that, or 24. It's, it's, it's they got cities and, and, and ownership begging to spend, you know, 150 million plus to own, own a team, whereas 15 years ago it was 5 million. You know, it was nothing to own a team. So it, it's, it's phenomenal to see what Major League Soccer, how far it's come. Um, it, just the academies that these, these uh, teams now have, where they're home growing their own players that they can now. You know, in the future, they can put on their own teams or sell internationally, and it's going to be. There's a reason why all of a sudden the the, 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 the uh, price to play has gone so much so so high, is because it's you know Major League Soccer is a viable league, but they also are now able 
to they're going to be producing these players, world class players that they can um, they can monetize uh, because that's how soccer works in terms of the you know player player transfers and so forth. But anyway, it is um, it is a sport that has finally made it at a professional level. And um, it will be interesting to see how it grows compared to the other four major league sports over the next, you know, decade or two, considering how far it's come since, you know, the early 2000s. In talking about the the franchise number in Major League Soccer, I know from an article that I read a couple of weeks ago, they're adding two more franchises. And then I think the season after they're adding two more. I think one of those is in Phoenix, maybe. And I think the... It's no longer is a team only driven by ticket and jersey sales and then concessions. That's not the driving metric anymore. It seems like the driving force is online interaction. It's uh, fan interaction. It's expanding beyond just let's get people in the ballpark to watch a game. It's actually generating a relationship that goes beyond just the season and, you know, you're not a Rough Riders fan just in June. You're a Rough Riders fan in November. You know, and it's creating that sort of uh, membership, that literally a membership of the family that I think that's where the real earnings potential and where the steady uh, income is going to really start coming from. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, certainly it's a heck of a lot easier to – communicate and engage with fans on a constant level on a year-round basis with with the technology that we we currently have you know compared to heck when i got in sports i i I didn't even have a computer i don't think i just had a phone um and there was no such thing as email or really the internet barely um i age myself here but yeah yeah you're right i mean the the, the question is is you know everyone's kind of starting to figure that out you know whether it be live sports or, or whatever and so you know people can only take so much um you can only interact with something or something so frequently or so much. And so at one point does too much become too much. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, certainly, you know, every sports team is, is trying to figure out ways to, to continually contact and engage and reach out to their fans. And it is a lot easier than it used to be. Um, you know, the thing that I find interesting, we start talking about new revenue streams to kind of go off base a little bit here is what's caught my eye was how the NBA recently, um, you know, Adam, Adam Silver, who's the commissioner of the NBA, was talking about how they are now totally in favor of legalizing gambling and, um, you know, nationwide. And, you know, they want 1% of everything that's gambled on NBA games. My God, if you if you just run the numbers in terms of, you know, they think that the amount of money right now bet on NBA games, I guess legally and illegally, is somewhere in the neighborhood of 5 to $10 billion. I mean, And you just get a, a small piece of that. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of money. Um, so anyway, I know I kind of went off base from your initial question, but you, when you said uh, new revenue streams, that's the, that's the thing that initially popped my mind is, holy cow, if the NFL and the NBA can monetize legalized gambling throughout the United States, um, <laughs> you know, that's probably adds another billion to each franchise's uh, value. No need to apologize for diverging from the conversational stream. That's why I have you on the podcast, because I know you're capable of bringing fresh, interesting information like that. I was kind of stunned myself that Commissioner Silver said that. But then again, I was also stunned when the NBA announced this year that they were going to start allowing uh, sponsorship logos on jerseys. I'm really curious. I have two questions for you. The first is, I know you're a sports guy. I know you're a sports fan, but I know you're also a sponsorship kind of partnership fan. How do you feel 
about uh, sponsors' logos on professional jerseys? Well, you're talking to a guy who really started. And start, I started with the Mavericks and the Psychics, but really my first big job was in Major League Soccer, you know, and obviously, you know, soccer, um, you know, not necessarily in MLS originally, but they've now adapted it, but certainly soccer worldwide, you know, for a long, long time has adopted, you know, the jersey, the, the logos on the jerseys and the corporate logos on the jerseys and so forth. And so um, you're, you know, you're talking to a guy that kind of, you know, that's, that's, that, that's, I like that. You know, I, I don't have a problem with that whatsoever. I can see how purists, you know, in football and basketball do. And, you know, the, the NBA logo, um, I know teams have had success. Most of the teams have had success selling it. Um, I'm not sure I get it. I just, to me, it's too small. It's almost like it's, it's forced there a bit. European teams, soccer teams, the name of the, the sponsor is the name on the front of the jersey. And the way you can tell the teams apart is they have their color palette. Sure. Right. Barcelona's jersey is the red, blue stripes. And then they had the giant, you know, Cutter Airways or whoever their sponsor is of the day. And I'm okay with that. I really am. It's it only seems like in the United States that we really focus on associating a team with the specific city where their stadium is. And we try and establish a brand that way. Yeah, I mean, you're you're right. I mean, it it's coming. I mean, you take I mean, it's slowly but surely it's coming. I mean, it's 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 already MLS is MLS is generating a tremendous amount of money. Um, and obviously no one has a problem with it because it's been done in soccer. That's kind of like the way you do it. It's almost like if you don't do it that way, you're not a real soccer league, right? Uh, which is obviously the, the opposite for the rest of the four major leagues where, you know, the, the NBA now is just now experimenting with that, that small patch. And you got to think that as owners and leagues look for new revenue streams, that eventually will creep into, um, you know, all sports or all the four major sports here in, in the United States. And, and more so than just a small little patch. Um, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's coming. It's just a matter of when. Okay, now this is the question where I get to put you on the spot. All right. And there are no, there's no pass. There's no next question. So you can choose one sporting event anywhere on the planet, and you get to run the marketing for that event from the lead up to the game day, to the post. You one event, and you get to be the marketing boss for the whole thing. Which challenge are you taking on? Uh, that'd be the World Cup. Definitely the World Cup. Um, you know, it's the, it's the biggest event in the world. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's the biggest event in the world. I don't think I need to say more. I, it's, it's a, you know, a phenomenal event that, uh, you know, also too, I, I, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about FIFA, you know, mismanaging things. So, I think that, uh, you know, if I was in charge, you'd clean that, clean that up. And I think there'd be a tremendous amount of upside, too, because I think there's, you know, sponsors have backed out. They're leery right now. Um, but so I do it for that reason, as well as just the fact that it's, it's the greatest sporting event in the world. It truly is a shame that the United States won't be playing it this year. Now, you're not going to allow Vuvuzuelas, are you? <laughs> the horns? Yeah, you're not going to allow those, right? Oh my God! You, you, I I could tell you stories back in the day of uh, when the Dallas Burn, now FC Dallas, played the Cotton Bowl, and you had half our fan base who loved those things, and half our fan base that just drove them out of the stadium. And uh, we reached a happy medium. Actually, what we decided to do is we allowed them. We allowed them, but we stopped selling them. Um, so that dramatically cut down on those the, the the presence of those horns that people 
Some people don't I like. I think that is uh, something positive that you should make sure you have on your resume. Not that I want you to change jobs, but if you ever if you ever make an actual resume, you should put on I helped in Vuvuzelas in soccer. That's that's a that's a mark of honor. <laughs> you know, actually, what we did, what, what 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 we did too at the Cotton Bowl back then. Once again, this is the first few years of Major League Soccer. We split the Cotton Bowl in half. One was called the festive side, so we encouraged people who wanted to consume soccer like the rest of the world perhaps to, to sit on that side and then we had the other side was called the family side and that was more for the uh soccer moms and dads and the families who may not want to hear certain words or have someone behind them blowing that horn for 90 straight minutes or get a little bit of beer spilled on them so it worked out well we figured it out but yeah it, it uh we had a clash initially um with with the start of the advent of major league soccer at least in dallas with uh uh, two very different types of fans. Well, I have to say, uh, job well done there. And I have to say, I'm wishing you the best of luck with this season and all seasons moving forward with the Rough Riders and looking forward to uh, to a lot of success and a, a lot of new sort of initiatives at the ballpark. And today, I've had the pleasure of speaking with John Alper. He's the chief sales officer for the Frisco Rough Riders. John, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Hey, anytime, uh, Sean. I appreciate it. Hey, and uh, I'm just saying, throwing this out there, John Alper Field. Just think about it. <laughs> if I had that much money, I probably wouldn't be here. You know what? I bet you could work yourself a discount. I'm just saying, you know you know a guy. Come on. <laughs> I'm not sure what I wrote. Yeah, talk to our owner, Chuck Greenberg, see what he has to, <laughs> has to say about that. I'll be very interested to hear how that conversation goes. John, have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, you bet. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, go to marketscale.com slash industries. And if you have a chance, subscribe to the MarketScale publications for the latest articles, videos, and podcasts from your favorite industries.